Bigfoot Society would like to thank the following sponsors for helping make the podcast possible. The Singular Fortean Society has combined open and honest paranormal investigation and journalism since 2016. Visit the Society at Singular Fortean for all the latest weird news and more. Come with us and investigate the impossible. Lauren Smith is the hostess for Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio, which has been on air for over a decade and has completed over 300 shows. Lauren brings with her a unique viewpoint given that she is not only the daughter of one of the veteran female Bigfoot researchers in the South, but she has been conducting field research since she was a preteen some 20 years ago. Nightcallers is a Bigfoot world favorite and along with interviewing researchers and witnesses often features interviews with guests from the documentary film and entertainment industry. Lauren also does a vidcast segment called Nightcallers which features real encounters sent in by viewers. You can find all of this and more at nightcallersproductions.com. Welcome to the Bigfoot Society Podcast. Join me, your host, Jeremiah Byron, as I uncover the stories behind the people who make the wonderfully weird and unexplained their life's work. We love chatting about cryptids and creatures that defy logic, but that won't stop us from having people show up that you might not expect. A little bit of this American life and a little bit of in search of is what you're about to experience. So sit back, put your headphones on, Put your phone in your pocket and relax with your favorite beverage as I uncover the stories behind your favorite entertainers, researchers, and people you've never heard of in this episode of the Bigfoot Society Podcast. Hey all, it's time to saddle up because this week we've got Mr. Lyle Blackburn on. We talk all about monsters, rocking out and of course bigfoot encrypted so i had a lot of fun talking to lyle and i think that you're gonna enjoy this interview as well so uh sit back relax get something to drink and have a good time all right thanks for coming back to the bigfoot society podcast i have the privilege of interviewing mr lyle blackburn uh, tonight. Thank you so much for, for coming on, Lyle. Um, I will start by uh, reading a little uh, bio for uh, Lyle here. So it says, uh, Lyle Blackburn is the author of such books as The Beast of Boggy Creek and Lizard Man, the founder of the rock band uh, Ghoul Town, and narrator slash producer on many small town monsters films. You may have heard him as well on Coast to Coast AM and seen him on shows from channels such as Animal Planet, Travel, Discovery Science, Shudder, and more. So quite the uh, impressive uh, resume there, Lyle. Anything else you would like to uh, add that you'd want uh, listeners to know about yourself? Uh, well, that kind of covers the basic gist of it. Um, yeah. That's a good summary of it. So you did well. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So I am, I'm super curious. What is, you know, how all these uh, superhero has a, as an origin story. What is the origin story for Lyle Blackburn? How does he go from however Lyle was, or maybe you've always been like this. I don't know. I mean, you're just for, honestly, you are a cool dude. And I'm curious, like, what's the road you got to, to um, being a, uh, a rocker, uh, a creator of a theme song on Elvira, a book writer for cryptozoology themes, uh, I mean, how did you get there, dude? Well, I mean, it was kind of a short road and a long road. Okay. Um, 
in a way, because as far back as I can remember, I just gravitated towards the subject of monsters, whether that was monster movies, um, and later became aware of cryptids, you know, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, things like that. I read stories in elementary school. So I just loved all things having to do with that. And, um, you know, back when I was young, it, it wasn't as cool to be a monster kid and there wasn't yeah. as much stuff yeah. and there were, you know, it was hard to see any movies like that. Uh, so I can remember just very much being an outcast in that way, but, um, you know, I, I loved the subject matter and I didn't care. So, uh, as, as time went on, uh, I developed a love for music and, and really more of just like wanting to be in a band. I loved mm. Kiss and I thought, you know, that's cool. And, I was kind of a quiet kid, so I thought that's a way I can be forward and loud without having to really speak. Um, so I awesome. joined bands when I was in um, middle school and in high school. I was already in bands that were doing some touring and recording and um, and did that, you know, for most of my life that went on as well as I just was talented with writing. So I read mm. a lot and uh would write for music magazines and horror magazines sort of in between touring and doing the band stuff and uh sort of made a living you know writing everything from software manuals and all sorts of stuff um and then later i was writing for the horror magazine rue morgue uh more than a decade ago oh, and yeah, that's yeah. where i got the idea i wanted to write a book and i thought what is my favorite subject and that was the legend of boggy creek uh, a movie which dramatized sightings of a Sasquatch-like creature in Southern Arkansas. And I'd seen that when I was a kid and it, it's pretty close to where I live. Um, I live in the Dallas Fort Worth area of Texas okay. and that is about three hours away. So for me, that was kind of like Bigfoot in my home turf, you know, totally. and, you know, so I, I really just fascinated that I kind of had that Southern feel and it had a monster and it was one, just a movie monster. This was also, seen by real people so it was kind of the merge of those two things and then I kind of went from a you know mostly music um you know with a stage name Count Lyle to now, oh, I, nice. now I'm gonna be a, a writer well that's not a good name so Lyle Blackburn was you know a good writer name so um you know started writing for Rumor magazine and, and wrote the books and that sort of quickly launched me into this whole cryptid kind of thing and uh, was okay. on monsters and mysteries in america shortly after yep. my first book the beast of boggy creek came out and so everything i've done including the music always has a theme of horror or monsters and it's just in my blood mm -hmm. so i kind of don't know any other thing and you can see this is this is just a small part of my office it is and the whole yeah. office is like this and in fact my whole house with horror toys and Bigfoot casts and, you know, movie posters and what have you. So, um, you know, that's, I sort of got there in a slow process. Although to me, I'm just still the same kid who loves monsters, so to speak, oh, that so I was, cool. you know, when I was three. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, yeah. Do you have a, there's a really interesting video on your website where it's like you actually uh, kind of do a sweeping tour around your, your, uh, it's almost a museum. The stuff you have in there is like, wow, where did this guy get this stuff? Like, and we'll, I got some questions about that later, but it's like, 
man, there's probably some people that would be like, like you got the sweet collection, man. Hats off to you. Um, was there a, a moment when you realized that like, Oh, I'm doing what I, I I'm meant to do. Like it started to really click for you. You know, do you remember a certain moment? Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, early on when I, uh, was playing music and I was in a band on Roadrunner Records and we did some touring where, you know, we toured all the U.S., Canada and Europe. And, you know, when you get on stage and you get halfway around the world and people are singing your lyrics back to oh, you, man. Yeah. Those are the times where you just like, man, this is crazy and cool. Mm. Um, and that's one aspect. And then with the books and things, kind of the same thing when people start coming up and saying, I've read your book. I loved it. I had this experience and I identified with it. And I love the way you put me right there in that setting where, you know, somebody saw a creature. It's that feedback. So there's been moments mm -hmm. like that, that you, no matter what hard work there is involved, it's, it's the readers and the listeners and the fans, which affirm like, I'm doing what I should yep. be doing, you exactly. know, be damned the money or anything else. This oh, is man. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm curious. So, uh, uh, Lauren, there's a quote, uh, by Lauren Coleman and the, the gist of it is like, he says, first you write the books, uh, then, then the TV's shows come out. Was it a thing where you wrote the books first and then you got on the TV shows or like it was backwards or, or, how did that kind of work out? Yeah, it was the, the book was written first when I wrote The Beast of Boggy Creek, which came out in 2012. You know, oh. and I'd been researching it about three years before that. Um, and it was literally about, I want to say, within months of the book coming out. Um, some of the shows that were early on more than a decade ago, kind of getting this whole revival of cryptids on cable television going monsters and mysteries in America oh, was yeah. doing on Falk monster, Boggy Creek monster called me up and I'm like, well, sure. You can interview about me about this. I mean, I've been on stage, so I was already sort of right. You know, interviews and being in front of a camera and such. And, and so that was the process. And I, I wrote the book literally just for my own, I just wanted to research and know about the case, what was true about That's it. Awesome. You know, how was the movie made? So I never really intended some kind of a path to get on TV or anything else. Right, right. It just happened. And of course, you know, they, they bill you as a Bigfoot expert or whatever it is. But it's like, I never said that. I, I just research and then I answer the questions, you know, it's sure. But heck, you can't turn down that publicity because you get on a show and then yeah, suddenly that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Sells. So good. Mm. Um, talking about, uh, since we're talking about, that uh, book right now what was kind of your uh your research process when you were putting that book together what kind of um th other things were you looking into in order to get all this info together in the book um you know I've, i gathered up what i could find on the internet of newspaper clippings that dated mm. back to some of the seminal sightings in the early 70s um you know had i had seen the movie over and over in fact i used to sit in the in the tour bus while the other guys are in there drinking and I'd watch legend of boggy Creek and they thought it That's was so nuts. cool. 
<laughs> but uh, when I started research, I thought, well, Falk is not very far away. So I'm just going to have to go up there and just yep. dumb my way around and start, um, you know, meeting people and asking questions. So that's what I did. I just went up to this small town, okay. was a store called the Monster Mart, which at the time just had barely anything you could see. Um, wow. And I just started asking people and that led to somebody saying, well, you should talk to this guy and then this guy. And then I met a few key people who knew a lot about it and had been there since they were been involved with as kids and their parents were involved. And then I started sort of sussing out the whole story. Yep. Um, so a lot of trips back and forth up there going to, to the Texarkana Gazette um, library to get the old newspaper articles and, oh yeah sure 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 like microfiches and stuff yeah so so i kind of consider myself something of an, an investigative journalist but one that will get out in the swamp in the woods and go to the places people see these you know i'm in the library i'm in some dangerous swamp next to an alligator so it's sort of I love that. And I think that's, that's really what has to happen. If you're going to like put together a solid uh, book or resource, you got to do a little bit of both. I mean, it's kind of like you got Mark Marcel, the Ape Canyon guy, and he's like, he's in the library looking at the old newspaper articles, but he's also going to the cabin site. Like you got to have both to get the, the book down. So hats off to you, man. Um, what do you, what is your, your coolest uh, monster, item that you have in that room what's what's like the number one cool thing is there a number one cool thing um uh man it's that's really hard it's to hard say. yeah yeah it really is because not only is there a lot of stuff but um you know kind of spans between like toy monsters and then i've got a lot of memorabilia mm. from um the legend of boggy creek i mean one of the coolest oh, wow. things i have um is a little boggy creek section over there where i have um, like a piece of a screen off of a window and that screen was seen in the movie the 1972 legend of boggy creek movie where they reenacted a girl's sighting where she looks out her the back window and sees oh, the wow. creature coming up and looming in the trees um in the dusk and oh, man they charles pierce the director shot the scene in the same house where the girl had the sighting so not only is it you seen in the movie but this was the window that was the girl saw the thing in 1964 so the house wow. is kind of dilapidated and i got access to it and you know there's pieces of stuff everywhere and i borrowed a piece of screen that was did a yeah. little indiana jones this belongs in a museum move so you know totally yeah that's all right and that, that's some of the coolest stuff because it represents both, to me, movie monster and real life cryptid and something that, you know, you can't buy on a shelf. This is not mm. something I can order and right. win on eBay. So, you know, that's some of my favorite stuff. There's Bigfoot casts. And of course, I've got monster toys. I love Universal Monsters. So, oh yeah, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, and I've got some of those items dating back to the sixties and seventies, um, which are hard to find toys. Oh, wow. So yeah. some of those are some of my favorites. Mm. 
is there uh, is there a one item that has been uh, elusive over the years that you've been trying to find that has I mean I see you you even have the Bigfoot from uh, is it oh boy uh, Bionic Man that Bigfoot I saw you have one of those in that video oh, that that's really television cool. show Six yep. Million Dollar Man from the see I, I was like oh sorry <laughs> yeah no Six Million Dollar Man totally that's awesome. Yeah, that that's not my original, but I have a uh, I have a picture of me as a kid holding that thing. Oh, I'm wearing wow. a Star Wars shirt and I'm holding it, dude. Uh, so I had it, and then of course I grew up only for a brief time in my teenage years, and somewhere got rid of it. But oh man, um, but yeah, there's there's a few things. There's some there's some sort of action figures, if you will, uh, eight inch figures of Frankenstein. Wolfman, Dracula, Mummy, that are um, from the 1970s. Oh, cool! And th- those those are very hard to find in the packages, yep. like in the boxes on the blister card. And I don't have all of those. And when you do find one, it's like ridiculous amounts of money. I bet. And then there's you know you got to get the whole set. You got to get all the monsters. So that's that's one thing. One hole in the collection that I'm missing. Ah, gotcha. But Someday we'll get it. Someday it's fun it, to chase things down. Sometimes. I know, right? It's it's hanging out in a goodwill somewhere. You just got to find the goodwill, right? It's there somewhere, right? right. Only <laughs> yes, sir. Are, are you excited for uh, Godzilla vs. Kong com, com, coming out? Oh yeah, that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's uh, you know some of my favorites. I really love King Kong and that's, you know, I'm, I'm a little more of a King Kong guy than Godzilla. So I guess I'm rooting for King Kong. Oh yeah. Well, I am too. Uh, but, yeah. You know, I love, I love, just love the whole idea of Skull Island because somewhere in my mind, that's kind of me. Like, you know, when I go to a place like where Momo, the Missouri monster was seen and I drive yes. up to Missouri and I'm out there by the Mississippi river and the bluffs and stuff. And, you know, that's my little skull islands, so to speak. Um, I love that. I look for, at least talk to people who have possibly seen the creature and, and so forth. So when you're, I'm just curious when you're doing interviews, when you're interviewing people, do you tend to do, uh, do you write stuff down or are you re- doing audio recorder or, or how are you uh, just by memory or what's your usual method of? I usually use audio. Okay, uh, cool. Mostly, I mean, sometimes on a, you know, if I'm out in the field and I'm sometimes I could just be somewhere and mm-hmm. some suddenly somebody has a story. So sometimes I've had to write, write down notes or try to get yeah. them to call me later. But I really like to record it because then I get their actual quotes. Mm. And I find that I get a better story if I just kind of casually have a conversation and record it rather than putting a video camera on them and making oh, totally. them comfortable. You know, I'm not making movies, so it doesn't matter what they look like. Um, I just want the, you know, their honest feelings and, and their story. That's that's good advice. So far, guys, uh, gals who's listening to this, if you're like, there's been a lot of really good advice on how to do the cryptid investigative journals, and hopefully you're taking notes on that. Like that has been some solid stuff so far. Uh, talking about your your years um, over the years performing in different bands, do you have a favorite memory you've had about uh, performing in in bands over the year? Anything that 
anything that jumps out that was a really cool thing that happened there's a lot of them um uh one of my favorite times was um when we were playing once in i believe it was st louis and uh, we were playing in conjunction with a kind of a horror convention event and they had all the cast of the night of the living dead there and you know i mean that's obviously a film that i had seen over and over and and loved that film and um we kind of made fast friends with bill hensman that played the first zombie you see in the graveyard Um, oh cool they're gonna get you barbara and then this zombie comes up well that that was him and it was cool to hang out with him and he was a really fun guy and he you know we showed in the band and stuff. So he actually got on stage and introduced us before we played. Oh, wow. And, you know, there's just times like that when you're just like, how does this even happen? This is exactly, uh, you know, that was a cool one. And once I was, we were playing in this up upstairs, downstairs um, venue in um, Houston and the misfits were playing upstairs and we were playing the downstairs. Wow. And while we were playing, all of a sudden I see people pointing over. I look over on our stage and there's Jerry only one of the members of the misfits, the founding member oh, wow. we were playing a cover of ghost riders in the sky. And he's literally over there on the mic singing. And what? I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that, that was the first time I'd met him. We've since become oh, friends, wow. but, um, his introduction to ghoul town with somebody running upstairs and go, there's some spooky cowboy band down there playing yeah. ghost riders in the sky. So I ran down to check it out. And I just look over, he's on the stage. So oh. those are times you, when again, you just go, wow, how did I get here? This is cool. how, how am I here? And how can I like, just, it's like, you gotta enjoy it. Oh, it's so good. That is such a good story, yeah. man. Oh, what is the origin of the name ghoul town? Um, that came from, I had been in some heavy metal bands and and done well with that. And then I kind of shifted back to kind of a horror punk thing. And then I was, I was always trying to create something, uh, my own kind of music that was, um, very unique and different and, and recognizable like the yeah. misfits one of my favorite bands like they are but not be like i mean not copy them right. I mean, have my own thing and i was i was writing i wanted to put out a comic book uh, and i was kind of writing short stories and developing a comic book and i had this idea for this post-apocalyptic western kind of thing with kind of like ghouls and vampires and things oh, and nice. um i came up with the name ghoul town for that and within those stories, there was always, there was these saloons that would have kind of a mix of old and modern. Like there would be like a band actually playing in the saloon and the band sort of was like ghoul town. And, okay. and then after a while of that, I thought, you know, maybe I should actually start this band. Um, and <laughs> so then I kind of switched gears from doing like in a writing or a comic book format to actually forming the band and, that was back in 1999. So that's wild. Oh man. That's cool. Very unexpected. Um, if there's people that are listening to this and they're like, <clears throat> maybe like their dream is like 
you know, younger people, they want to like, let's start a band. Let's, let's travel around. Let's tour. Do you have any advice for people that are, are thinking about maybe doing that? Yeah. I mean, the, the basic ingredients to getting somewhere with that kind of stuff is to first, you know, study other bands like the misfits or whomever you know iron man or whatever your bands are look at the ingredients look at how they present themselves look at their songs and and you know you want to be professional and then you know obviously Mm. you need something that people like and then the the other ingredient is get it out there i learned that early Mm. on uh, back in the days before the internet um when my first band solitude eternus got signed to roadrunner records we would just send out our demo tapes everywhere like everywhere and that got us a noticed um worldwide really we were in fanzines and other things before we really had our first album out and i learned from that it's like you if people don't know of it then they can't become fans so if you have something good you've got to get it out there and of course now we have the internet so it's a lot it's a lot more easy although it's a lot more saturated so you know i do the same kind of approach with the books and things i just get them out there make sure you know i do all all the events i can and and send the books to get reviewed and you know that always seems to work it if it's a good if it's something good and you get it out there then slowly but surely it'll start paying off you know Oh, I agree. And I think it, it's, you have to be careful not to become uh, lazy in this time of the internet. You need to, you need to have that, that same, like, go for it. As you were talking about before the internet, where like, let's send it to everyone. Like you got to contact like crazy. Like if you're doing a, you know, what you're doing now, or you're doing a podcast, you got to work on it every night. So that is great advice, Lyle. Thank you. Um, you have so many different ways of creating right now. You're doing writing, narration, music, um, all that good stuff. Do you have any of those that are um, uh, more of a favorite for yourself or? Well, I, I like the process of researching and writing a book, which mm. is why I kind of continue to do it. I mean, I had great feedback, but it was a fun process and, I think I'd never written a book before is because I always thought it was going to be boring. Like what am I going to write a oh, book? I'm just going to lock myself in a room. <laughs> I like the writing, but I like getting out in the field and meeting people and, and all these adventures happen. And then I can write about them. Um, so that's, that's some of my favorite stuff. And it, and usually that's government, you know, that's driven by just me in the terms of a band, you know, I've got other members and there's a lot more, logistics to doing anything although you know my favorite part about that is being on stage all the other stuff is work but but again when you you know we played we were playing in london oh wow a couple of years ago and that was the first time we had played london itself on any european tours and you know you're there and again the club is just overflowing with people and they're singing your lyrics that's my favorite part but there's mm. a lot of work involved, obviously. Oh to yeah. Get, to get that one hour on stage, all the other stuff. So oh, um, that's cool. Work. Speaking of music, um, I'm always 
interested. Uh, do you have um, what's in your rotation of uh, what you're listening to music right now? Do you have any favorite albums you've been listening to as you work? Or um, I've been listening to a lot of Wasp, the okay. heavy metal band, which kind of became prominent in the late '80s, kind of in the hair band, but they were much oh nice harder and heavier and. Uh, you know, I knew I listened to some of their albums, but then I kind of lost track of it. And then somehow I was on Amazon music and I started listening to some of their other stuff. And I was like, wow, they, they did a lot of great stuff. I didn't realize. So for like a month, I just been listening to each wasp album. Oh, that's awesome. It's crazy how like, and it's not like I can even talk to this because I'm like, I'm 37. So I can remember when the internet came in. I'm like at that weird cutoff age, right? But it's like, I can remember when before iTunes and before Spotify, and now you have like Spotify now, and it's like, oh, I can bring up one certain band and listen to their whole, every album they've ever made. Like it's mind blowing, definitely. Um, do you have a, a preferred way, like a um, that you like to listen to music? Are you vinyl guy or? Or just kind of however you can get it. Just kind of however, really. I mean, okay. I like li listening to it in my truck, you know, when I drive. I mean, you know. I'm, oh, nice. I can jam it out, you know, high school style. Heck yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, vinyl's cool. It sounds good. And, you know, we've put some of our albums on vinyl okay. uh, over time. And, you know, it does definitely has a superior sound. I, I definitely don't like really compressed mp3s a lot of people's mm, um, interesting what they're listening to is a bad quality version um but you know if i can if i can uh play a cd or a better source file or okay. whatever then that's that's the best way but i'm not too picky i'm not i'm not you know uh like i'm not like some of those people that you know want a pristine vinyl and that's all they listen to or whatever i oh I yeah i got you yeah I totally <laughs> yep got got a few um of course as you can imagine there are some cryptozoology themed questions that came in <clears throat> when i put the uh, word out that i was going to interview you so are is there a plan for any future cryptozoology theme books down the line anything you're working on or keeping things uh quiet until or anything on uh that regard or um i'm really not sure what i'm gonna write next i i usually have it kind of mapped out and i do have a, okay. you know, a good list of five or six books that i want to do and uh you know, nice. I, I released two last year, so I, I kind of worked oh, hard. Wow, and, um, I, I, I've got a good response to my my book, Sinister Swamps, which mm -hmm. covers geographical locations. And in that, I don't just cover cryptids. I just covered whatever weirdness that people had reported or legends associated with these swamps, kind of, you know, those primordial spooky locations that we all kind of think about. Um, and, and, and that seemed to get a good response where I just covered more than just cryptid. So I was trying okay. to debate, I guess, between doing one of my books, like, 
where I focus on one narrow, small cryptid case, or do I go bigger and, and talk about regions and, you know, more weirdness, kind of like I did in Sinister Swamp. So it, it seems like the more books you write, the more you're like, oh no, what do I do now? Because <laughs> the possibilities are bigger and you've learned so much yeah. about different stuff that, you know, I would like to, I, people always ask me about writing a book about dog man or werewolves and oh, stuff like dude. that. So yes, totally. That, that, um, that's high on the list. Um, and yeah. Then, you know, there's been some great books. That's one thing though, is I've got colleagues like Linda Godfrey, mm-hmm. yep. um, Beast of Bray Road. And, you know, she's yep. written several books along those lines. And so I, I don't want to stomp on others research or toes if i do something it needs to be something that is my angle or my unique perspective or or if i've gotten enough you know reports of dog men that haven't been made public well they're definitely something to offer so i need that's another thing is just getting enough reports of one type to where you go well this would make a book you know because you don't want to sort of you want enough material you're not uh, to make it interesting. So I'm still uh, just trying to figure out. I, I can tell you that. Um, so, so doing this show, um, you definitely start to see the trends. And I would say that the dog man is definitely, it's one of those where it's slowly becoming more popular and more popular. Um, that and the Snallygaster for some reason, but that's a different story. That's that's a weird one from Western Maryland, but um, <laughs> that's really cool. Like that would be an awesome book. I'd, I'd be all about it, Lyle. Um, I, there's a question. Uh, so a few questions we'll start to put in here. So one from uh, Bigfoot Anonymous on Instagram. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you have any thoughts on the Ochizi Pond Wild Man? Have you ever heard of that? I think it's a Florida thing, maybe. That's a Florida one. Um, yeah. yeah, I covered that um, in my Beyond Boggy Creek book. It's been a minute since I wrote that. Um, to my, if I, if, it, if my memory is correct, that one was very much described on the verge of being a wild man, a man. Mm. Um, a lot of those older stories were hard to tell if they were very accurate in their description and whether they were talking about something that was more ape-like or were they just talking about a feral type person. Totally. And of course, earlier in our country, you know, uh, especially after the days of slavery and wars and things, there mm-hmm. were people who lived in, in the woods and swamps mm. and, and could be, uh, you know, seen by somebody and interpreted as being covered in hair or dirty sure. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that one's an interesting case and there's, you know, there is newspaper reports which talk about it. And in my mind, I, I'm not, I'm not convinced that was a skunk ape, but I'm not convinced it was, you know, definitely a man. So gotcha. they're old stories and hard to make a solid judgment really. There you go. So Connor, check out, check out that book to get some more info on it. That's, that's good. Uh, Creature Kids Books on Instagram. 
asks, what's your favorite cryptid that science finally accepted to be real? It's kind of an interesting question. Um, well, I mean, I guess, I mean, there's not too many that have been exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Is the thing. So uh, a lot of these were almost like they're cryptids, but weren't recognized necessarily as cryptids. Yep. So like the coelacanth exactly. which was discovered in 1938. Um, you know, that's sort of the darling of cryptozoology because that shows <laughs> that to most, you know, uh, marine biologists and scientists of that era believed that this uh, particular fish was extinct. And nobody had seen one for years and years and years until, you know, some fishermen pulled one up. And so suddenly it was like, wow, how come we haven't seen one of these before? Because if it's real and it lives in the, uh, the coast of Africa, you know, mm. we should have seen it. Why, why now? We thought this was an extinct uh, species. So, you know, that's sort of what drives a lot of this is that, well, there's an example of something that was creeping around in the in the sea that you know we thought was gone and and here we have an example of it exactly yeah and mammals are harder i mean you could say the mountain gorilla at one time in the early 1900s yep. was a cryptid yep. people said oh there's no there's no yeah there's no way there's no way living no. up there and what have you and, yeah you know until that guy went up there and shot one and brought one down mm -hmm. and said, well, how about this and then I was like, oh, I guess there is gorillas. Well. There. So, <laughs> yeah. But those oh, were yeah. not recognized. You know, there was no, Lauren Coleman didn't write a book on, you know, mountain gorillas being cryptids and then it was discovered. So that's a whole nother thing where. That, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. If we, you know, if a Yeti was discovered or if, you know, somebody had a Bigfoot that they brought in on the back of a truck or uh, a dog man. Mm-hmm that you know would be the ultimate sort of cryptid become real and would just man that would just blow people's minds obviously it you know that's like that's such an interesting subject because it's like it it, it ha it's it it does it has to happen for for science to fully accept it i think you know there has to be a specimen but hmm. do we want that to happen i mean i I love, I like Harry and the Hendersons, you know, that I don't want Harry to be hurt, but I mean, if there's something we want it to be proved, proven to be it existed as well. So, um, all the weird from Instagram, uh, Greg from Patreon also order 66 podcast, uh, which is a great Star Wars podcast. He says, he asks if you could learn the undeniable truth about a single cryptid, which cryptid would you choose so i would think you could have all the knowledge there is about this one cryptid what would it be hmm yeah i mean i i, I mean probably bigfoot i suppose yeah, it's sort yeah. of the the one although that we seem to have the most knowledge of so you know you, you want to weigh that against like well maybe I would want to know about Dogman because it seems a little mm. bit more fringe and harder to come up with any data. So, yeah, I don't know. 
I might just go with Dogman on that theme just because then I would be like, then I would suddenly be the expert on that. It would be quite the book. <laughs> yeah. Then I could write the book very well. Yeah, exactly. Um, th- this next question comes up in multiple forms in different areas across social media. Can you tell us a little bit about your hat? People love your hat, Lyle. Like, can yeah. you, is it a certain type or, or um, nothing uh, too special or? Well, it's, it's kind of a one of a kind. I, I got this oh, in wow. Mexico back in, I believe 1998 or 99, right about the time I started Ghoul Town and okay. had the idea for the, the, the image of the band with the dark Western stuff. And mm. I had another hat, but it wasn't quite right that I used on like the very first promo pictures. And then I found this hat because I, back then I'd go to Mexico every once in a while and, and, uh, nice. And I found the hat and it just kind of worked well. And then it became just literally part of the ghoul town image and became part of me and was part of what I was talking about, how, the band suddenly I had a band that was um, identifiable with, you know, from the image and the music, whether people liked it or not, you you know, people we'd walk around, you know, Texas and in cities like Austin and Dallas and people would say, Oh, Hey man, ghoul town. They would just see the black. Yeah. So it worked for that. And obviously when I, when I started writing books, I thought, well, you know, do I even look like a book writer? I don't know. And then, you know, I just thought, ah, Indiana Jones, you know, whatever. I That's just, right. I just wore the hat. So then it's almost to this point where if I don't wear it, people are like, where's your hat? So I just figure, well, I'm just going to stick with it on everything I do, even an interview. That, that way you I'm have to. I, I don't think, <laughs> I think people would be like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. So that's some yeah. cool background info on the hat, man. Thank you. Um the, the next question is, a, so we, we get some troll questions. So this one's a kind of a funny one, but Gordon Shumway on Twitter, by the name, you know, you're in trouble, but are you really Ken Gerhard in disguise? Uh, well, that's a good question because, okay. you know, you, you don't, you, you don't always see us in the same place at the same time. So, so could we very well be, um, you know, that's one true. Of the time, but you know, we, we always, you know, and I, Ken is also, it was funny because we play who had the hat first. Oh, that yeah. Up, but Ken, <laughs> Ken also is a singer in a band and had a hat and where oh, we're in the band. Yeah. I mean, we're very oh. similar, even though hmm. like our, our album producer on several of our albums was his guitar player. Oh. But I didn't meet Ken till for a while, but, um, but it kind of convergent paths. And That's so funny. obviously we were like-minded in many, many ways. And we literally came up with the hats and, you know, we, we always try to like, Hey, I got a picture of me at three years old wearing a hat, you know, oh, I got one of me. Mm-hmm. at two years old. <laughs> so it's literally, we can't figure out, we just sort of had the hats and that's, that was the deal. And we decided it, it is confusing sometimes where you thought this is genius publicity because whether people see me, or see mm-hmm. him, they, they kind of think of both of us. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. 
you know, it's like we're in two places Great. at one time. We're covering a lot of ground. And so we all, we just get a real big kick out of it. It's, it's a lot of fun. That's amazing. Um, so speaking of you and uh, Ken, can you tell me, um, can you tell me any info about the, the show concept you had uh, that you can actually watch the episode American Monster Tour? I, I, I think that's very interesting. But um, do you have any like any info about about that at all? Yeah, you know, that was something, you know, we've both been on television shows and we've mm-hmm. both been a part of uh, sort of these um, pitches by production companies to networks for getting our own shows. Um, okay. And, you know, as one can imagine, the television field is fraught with danger and minefields and people who don't what care anything about the integrity yeah. of our research. And mm-hmm. we have to watch out. And we always would say, you know, a lot of times if people would just put a camera on us when we're driving around together, yeah. we can make a show out of it. We're interviewing people. We're and we're just down to earth, you know, we're not trying to make stuff up or make anything out of anything. We're just investigating stories and sightings. And that's where the concept came from. We thought, well, what if we somehow could produce our own show, at least for the internet or whatever? Um, Not necessarily that it would get picked up by a network because then you'd have other people telling you what to do. So this was exactly right. Independent, but you know, it's doing that and having any kind of a budget or the time to do mm-hmm. it is, is difficult. So we've done one episode and American Monster Tour, the title and the idea with that was we've both been in rock bands and we've toured around. We've done all this. Oh, nice. Yeah. And while we do that, oftentimes, you know, break off and investigate stuff. So we thought, well, why not kind of have creature investigations merge with this tour kind of thought where we're going to the next destination that's we're good it's a good now idea one over here and, um and so we've done one called uh, demon flyer which is mm-hmm. uh, sightings of pterosaur or pterodactyl like creatures uh, particularly around oklahoma and texas and that's out there and we're working on a second episode called cattle oh, wow. Creature, uh, about okay. uh, bigfoot sightings in east texas um, nice but again, it's, it's, it's not big budget, so it takes longer to do it. So oh, sure. yeah. ultimately these are ending up on YouTube where people can just view them for free. We've had some interest from production companies wanting to pitch at the, sh- the show and trying to mm-hmm. get it more of an official capacity, but thus far, none of them have either been able to do it or want to change it. And then we just say, we don't yeah, like you're it. like mm. rejected, <laughs> right? Oh man, well, yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's a great concept. I enjoyed the episode. You can watch it. Uh, it's on YouTube, definitely on your um, your website as well. So I'll have that linked in the show notes. People can can check it out. But man, if that could keep going in some way, I would be all about it, dude. It's it's really good work. Um, I'm curious, what's it like? being interviewed on coast to coast am what is that like erratic <laughs> it's got yeah it's um oh, you man. know it, it's the most recognizable and it's got yeah. the biggest audience and, and great but obviously that comes with commercial breaks and okay. and all that sort of stuff and whereas 
like here, we, we don't have to keep stopping our thoughts. Um, but that being said, I mean, it's a great platform and, and you, you always oh, get yeah. interesting yeah. callers calling mm-hmm. in and, um, it, you know, it's kind of a, I don't know, a distinction if, you know, I used to listen to the show early on and it was odd because I remember some episodes where a, I listened to an author talk about his book and I went out and got the book and I remember an incident and that was uh, a book uh, called the president's vampire. And it was on anomalous books. Well, years later, anomalous books is who published my beast of boggy Creek. So there again, it was like, wow, how cool is this? You know, I I was the coast, which I liked and I bought this book and now I'm on the publisher and now I'm on coast to coast. Crazy. those are the times where you go, wow, this, how does this happen? <laughs> Man, that is wild. Um, I'm curious, how did you get the connection to write a theme song for Elvira? There has to be some, st- some story there. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, Ghoul Town was performing at a VIP party at a horror convention in Dallas. Okay. A lot of these horror conventions will have music and kind of spooky bands like ours. Um, but in this case, it wasn't the full stage thing. We were playing acoustically at this party that featured the celebrities and stuff. Oh, wow. She wasn't there, but her manager was, and he saw us and loved us. So, um, you know, I didn't meet him there or anything that night. Well, the next day we were at our table where we were at a guest table or whatever, and, you know, she was going to be there and, this is when she was kind of starting to get back into the convention circuit and really researching mm-hmm. her branding. And all of a sudden uh, somebody says, Elvira wants to meet you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I thought they were joking. Well, here she comes with a little entourage and the manager and wow. came over and said, you know, my manager has been going on about you guys, you know, your band sounds really cool. And I just wanted to come over here and see what you guys were about. And so, you know, I, you know, of course I shoved the other guys out of the way. And said, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk. And, uh, you know, just in the course of conversation, we, we, we hit it off and, and she said, well, maybe you should write me a song, you know? And I said, well, I can do that. I mean, I'm yeah. a fan of Elvira since mistress of the dark had been on the early television shows she had done and all that. And, uh, so I talked to her manager and ended up, I came home and did a demo and sent them the song. They liked it. We nice. recorded that with the purpose of her using it on her website or on some of her album releases where she does spooky Halloween songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the song was so good. We had a mutual friend who was directing music videos out in California. So we're like, why don't we shoot a video? So we ended up flying to Hollywood and shooting the video with her at a place called the magic castle it's it's in oh, yeah totally yeah, yeah. if you've heard of it yeah yeah um and so we were able to use that location she came out she's so super cool and i mean we filmed the video and uh just a really fun project um and and so that was it and so you know that just became another uh milestone in, in ghoul oh, town's yeah. music history and then you know, we became friends and anytime we see each other at conventions and things, uh, since then, you know, we always get together to visit. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a good story, man. That's good. Um, 
as as we're starting to get towards the end of the interview, at the end, I have the same set of uh, questions that I like to get the answers from. You know, I always have very every episode is a different guest for sure. So I've got some ending questions to ask you. Um, what should I ask you that I didn't know enough to ask? Is there anything that comes to mind? Um, I don't know. You covered a lot of stuff. Um, maybe what is, what is my favorite cryptid case? A lot of people ask that. Ooh, okay. But, uh, you know, that's, that's probably a predictable answer. It, it is the Boggy Creek uh, right. case. And, and that's always sort of my home ground. It's like even mm-hmm. I've written other books, but something about that still stick with, sticks with me that it did when I was young. And I've gone back, you know, numerous times and I still get witness reports. And a lot of people ask, oh, there's still, you know, sightings. Well, I just released a book called The Boggy Creek Case Book, which has mm. sightings from 1908 up until just like a year ago when I was, oh, yeah. you know, finished up the manuscript. And so that's a case that keeps drawing, drawing me in over and over. Mm. Whereas some like the Lizard Man book, it was just sort of, I wrote that book. It's sort of a capsule in time. Um, it's a very cool kind of creature from the Black Lagoon kind of vibe, but yeah, it's it's not sort of that on, ongoing. So, so Boggy Creek's kind of my the ongoing case that that always draws me back. That's awesome. If people have, uh, how do people send you reports and stuff? Uh, you know, they'll contact me from my website. Oh, okay, okay. Email yeah. sometimes through Facebook, uh, even Instagram. Um, okay. And then, you know, a lot of things I get when I'm out um, doing conferences and things. Oh, yeah, sure. Come up and say, well, I read your book. I like the way you treat witnesses and present the Mm. stories. And I'd like to tell you about something that happened to me. Oh, wow. Those are the best because then I'm instantly meeting the person and, and, you know, assessing them as a witness and and getting to hear their story either then or telling them to call me later so I can record it properly. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, getting out there and meeting people ends up, people will share their stories that I wouldn't have got otherwise. Mm, Very cool. Is there a thing that you're most excited about right now? could be anything in general. Yes. uh, Surviving COVID and getting back to the point (laughs) where I can do book signings. Yeah play gig yeah. and hang out with my friends and colleagues, you know, like, mm-hmm. I get it, man. Probably. Yeah. A hundred percent. Someone getting into uh Bigfoot or cryptozoology. What are the top books that uh, that person should have on their bookshelf right away? Um, well, cryptozoology A to, a to Z by Lauren Coleman's a great, you know, uh, way to get up to speed on mm-hmm. the various cases and the types of creatures. There's, uh, you know, getting, getting into one certain thing, like for Bigfoot, you want to read John Green, Sasquatch, The Apes Among Us. Yep. Um, Jeff Meldrum's Legend Meets Science is a good science approach to that. Exactly. Uh, if you want to know about Bigfoot in the South, of course, my Beyond Boggy Creek yep. book. Um, then, you know, for, for the seminal dogman case, the beast of Bray road by mm-hmm. Godfrey. Yep. Um, 
Well, and I mean, just say Ken Gerhardt has a new book, uh, The Essential Guide to Bigfoot, which is a, a really modern, updated version for Bigfoot. It's uh, a super good book, too. Yeah, I mean, that, that so would good. be a good one that yeah. I need to uh, add. Um, let's see, there's, you know, there's some Mothman books um, out there. Jeff Wamsley, who lives mm, in Point Pleasant, yep, West yep. Virginia, has written Mothman books. Um, there's a good one called Legend Tripping, which Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson has written. I just and that interviewed kind of gives him. You the kind of an approach of how, how yeah. you can make this fun to go research famous sites of cryptids and ghosts and UFOs. And uh, that's a good one. Um, gosh, you know, the list, there's just so many. That's a solid list. Cryptid books. There, yeah. Yeah. Uh, John Kirk's uh, Lake Monsters book is really, oh, yeah. really good. Let's yeah. Look at a copy of that. Uh, yeah, in the domain of Lake Monsters. Oh, okay. That's really I'll good. Check that one out. Really great in-depth information on you know nice. the nice. lake, various lake monsters, and I mean, it's, it, whether you're reading an older book or a newer one, a lot of times stuff doesn't change much you know it's it's true you still got the classics and you still got the seminal sightings um unless we discovered it well the book still stands as you know investigating the mystery so hmm. there, there's plenty of good books that's a solid list i'm going to have that in the show notes for sure but that'll get that'll get anyone getting into uh cryptozoology on the right foot thank you for that and, um, and I, have to, I have to stress that books are a great way to do it. I see a lot of mm-hmm. misinformation on blogs and websites. And when you start you looking at those blogs, half that stuff has been yep. copied ad nauseum from Lauren Coleman, exactly. which it gets worse and worse. It's like <laughs> books. Books are real research. And oh, yeah. the internet is, I, I see comments and quotes. And there's, there, you know, if you go look at an article on Momo, it's like, that's some of it's in there is okay. Some of it has errors, but my book is the place to go. If you're really in looking at Missouri cryptids and want to know about totally. Momo, the books are the way to go. Oh yeah. I agree. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. The last um, kind of like we're in the July, July 4th and you've got the fireworks going off at the end, the last uh, questions here. So what is Bigfoot according to you? What is, what do you think Bigfoot is? Well, I just kind of stick with the ground floor basic assumption that it is some sort of a biological entity, uh, some sort of ape hominid species that we just simply haven't been lucky enough to, to, to you know, prove yet. Exactly. I, yeah. I don't, I'm, I don't buy much into the, I definitely don't buy into there from UFOs okay. for a lot of reasons that doesn't make sense. It's a, it's cool to think about that, but it just doesn't make sense. And, sure, and sure. the whole interdimensional stuff, I don't popping out of portals, like, will they conveniently pop out in wooded areas where they, a creature like this would be. And it's so terrestrial in description and so much like us and, and mm. our, our, you know the great apes that it just doesn't seem like it's popping in and out and if if so why doesn't it pop into a walmart parking lot 
That's funny. Although, I mean, I've seen a few. <laughs> I thought I had a Bigfoot sighting in a Walmart parking lot, but it was. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so I just kind of stick with that kind of John Green classic. Yep. This is some sort of a, you know, there's not a bunch of different species. They're all just derivatives of, of you know, adaptations for particular environments, but it's, it's a, it, it's some sort of an ape. Mm, agreed. Agreed. Uh, is Mothman good or something else? I think the, the creature in itself, we're the ones that give it um, a mantle of good or evil. Ooh, I think okay. it just simply yeah. is. It is, mm. it, you know, if it's real or if it's biological or, or what have you, it is. It was just simply there. It was seen by people and then interpreted in the way that people wanted to interpret it. But I don't think, oh, man. okay, you know, by its own nature, it's it's neither good or evil. Okay, oh, that's that's a cool take on it. I like that. Uh, have you seen any of the photos or the videos about the pale crawler humanoids that have been showing up in different places, like the rake? Have you ever seen any of those? Um, I've seen some of that. Um, okay. I mean, those those realms. I'm not. I'm neither convinced that those creatures exist or that they don't. Mm. A lot of times when I see videos, I'm more inclined to say that I doubt the video, but that doesn't mean I doubt the veracity of of people's reports of seeing these strange sure. things. Yeah. There's so many things out there in the world that we don't have the answer to, or we don't know new you know many creatures um that are that kind of a format mothman would be included and mm-hmm. rake and um things like that where we can't discount other paranormal factors that we we don't quite understand so i don't mm. i don't ever claim gotcha. to know the answers i just continue that investigative journalism approach to try to find out as much as I can, what might be the truth. I like it. I like it. Uh, do you have any thoughts on there being window areas in certain parts of the U S there's some validity to that because there are areas that are just, just seem to have a lot of high strangeness, you know, the, yeah. the Bridgewater Triangle or yeah. some of these swamps that I talk about in Sinister Swamps, you know, Dismal mm. Swamp and uh, the Hockamock Swamp. And they're just, he's like, man, why is there so much weird stuff going on in this one area? And that's, mm. that leads to the speculation that there is some sort of a, a something special about that, a window or whatever you might want to call it. Uh, or just the way the earth's magnetism crosses in that one area. That's and, yes. That's a, yeah, that's a good one, man. Yep. I've heard that. It some, yeah. Give yep. it some weirdness. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are places that just have an abnormal amount of phenomenon that you can't just mm-hmm. dismiss out of hand. Mm. Last but not least, what is your top evidence uh, for Bigfoot? Um, I think footprints would be, okay. you know, the best evidence we have of Bigfoot and certainly of, of any other cryptid, because in many cryptids, mm. we don't have any, you know, solid evidence. So the footprints represent something that we can begin to 
enter into the catalog of saying that these creatures could be real, they're leaving footprints. And while not every Bigfoot footprint I've ever seen is, you know, legit, there are a number okay. of those that I believe are. There was a, there's a cast from Elkins Creek, Georgia, hmm. made back in the 90s by a deputy sheriff, which I find hard to dismiss from the story and interviewing the guy and from the location. Okay. There's, uh, you know, Cripplefoot, Bigfoot. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, the Hereford Bigfoot. There, there's just several of these kind of iconic footprints that I think defy rational explanation mm. and are not easily yeah. proved as hoaxes. So those give us sort of the, I guess, the breadcrumbs or the, the proverbial carrot dangling that we should continue to research Bigfoot because there's a good possibility it exists. Oh, I love that. That is a really cool way to take that question. Nice. Very nice. Well, Lyle, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us tonight and, uh, and, and sharing a little bit behind the scenes and going over cryptozoology, all this good stuff. Do you mind sharing with the listeners, like what's the best way to, uh, to keep up to date with what's uh, going on and um, all those different things? Yeah, certainly. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely hit up lyleblackburn.com. That has info and links to the, all the things involved here from Ghoultown and to where you can get my books, which is mainly Amazon. They come in paperback, hardback, Kindle, um, and as well as Small Town Monsters movies. You can view those primarily yep. on Amazon Prime streaming video. If you just search Lyle Blackburn on Amazon, it'll come up with uh, the video, you know, the movies, the books and all that sort of thing. And then definitely follow me on my Facebook page, Lyle Blackburn author. You know, I post there all the time and even nice. on Instagram. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Definitely link all that in the show notes as well. Uh, Lyle has agreed to uh, hang on for a few extra minutes after this episode. Uh share a few stories uh, and you can uh, access that in the Bigfoot Society Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Bigfoot Society. It says support the podcast for $5 a month. Thank you for that, uh, Lyle. And uh, thanks for listening all. And uh, we'll hang out with you next week. Uh, thanks for coming on, Lyle. You bet. Thanks. Big thanks again to Lyle Blackburn for coming on the podcast and sharing all about the crazy stuff he's got going on uh, musically and what he's writing and all about cryptids and more. And man, we talked about some cool stuff. Thanks again, Lyle. Definitely go ahead, check out his books, uh, lyleblackburn.com, if you haven't already. Thank the supporting members of the Bigfoot Society Patreon. Uh, we have Surfetes, uh, Josh Sewich from the Starfall Collective on Twitch. Greg Morrill from the Order 66 podcast. We have Coco Van Boxtel from Strange Little Lands. Daniel Fuller with Caveman Resale on eBay. Connor Anderson. Kenzie from the Crypto Chats podcast. Lauren from Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. Sky Slacker. Again, a huge thank you to the early supporters of the Bigfoot Society Patreon in the $5 tier. That is now closed. Uh, you can still get in the extra content and support, but now 
uh, there is a $10 tier and after that is full uh, it will go up to a $15 tier so definitely you want to get in soon so you can get into that $10 tier and thanks again to uh, the people's names I just mentioned those patreon members for being early supporters of the Bigfoot Society podcast and if you're not a patreon member and you're just a listener thanks for taking your time out of your busy day and spending some time with us uh, go ahead and uh, subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes leave a review on itunes uh, stitcher and uh, your preferred podcast platform and um, if you have any stories you can give us an email at bigfootsociety@gmail.com. and again check out the articles we have and more preferred book lists at BigfootSocietyPodcast.com. You can always go to Instagram at Bigfoot Society. And we have a TikTok now. It gets pretty crazy there. Bigfoot.Society. At Bigfoot.Society. One last thing, guys. We need to talk about the new Clubhouse app. Uh, It's currently in beta. It is an audio-only platform. I am currently setting up uh, the cryptozoology community on Clubhouse. So if you have Clubhouse... Look up uh, my name, which is public and out there, Jeremiah Byron, and uh, it's username at Bigfoot Society, and add me so that you can be in the Clubhouse Bigfoot Society room that'll be happening every week at uh, Wednesday night, 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. It's a great time. We've got a lot of people already in there. Uh, You're going to get hooked, so check it out. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Bigfoot Society. Any content provided by our guests are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone. Thank you.